Hello and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm your host, journalist Holly Rubenstein, and here each week I'll be speaking to a very special guest about the seven chapters in their life's travel diaries. From their earliest childhood travel memory and the first place they fell in love with, to their hidden gem and what's at the top of their travel bucket list. We'll be uncovering their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by the best-selling author and Vogue columnist Raven Smith, who's been hailed as the funniest man on Instagram and dubbed London's fashion world philosopher. His first book, Raven Smith's Trivial Pursuits, captured readers as a witty and irreverent guide to modern life. And he's back with a new book, part memoir, part commentary on masculinity called Raven Smith's Men. As you'll soon hear, Raven is also an avid traveller and has written for numerous travel titles about his experiences around the world. He takes us from the pyramids of Egypt to the nightclubs of New York from Greek island tavernas to the hidden beaches of Barbados, with lots of laughs along the way. So fasten your seatbelts, let's get started. Raven Smith, welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. It's so great to meet you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm a... I'm, uh... I've come through, what is it? I've gone through the airport and we're taking off. We are taking off on a journey through the seven chapters of your life. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Excited. Um, It's like the seven hills of Rome. (laughs) There you go. I mean, reading a lot of your work, it's safe to say that you are a keen traveller, right? Oh, I adore it. You know, I love new things, uh, new experiences, new people, new chat new sights, new sounds, new flavours. So travelling means the world to me. I am a bit of a London obsessive. I love London so much. So I there's this feeling of like going away and coming back to London. It's just like the best thing in the world. So actually going away, the new sights and smells is exciting. Mm. But then also you love London so much that the end of the holiday isn't so bad, right? It's always, there's always that fit, that kind of like pit of the stomach sadness on the last day of a, of a, of a holiday. A mini break, I can, it's not so bad. But like if you're on a two week jaunt, that feeling of knowing you have to leave is not nice. But I am, I love coming back to London so I I never feel too Mm. sad for too long do you ever do that thing on a long holiday that when you're having a really good time where when it's like five days before you have to go back you're like oh I've only got five more nights left I've only got four more nights I count them down in my head and I'm like trying to like eke out every it's been so long since I've done a proper two-weeker when you start to like not know what day it is that like between Christmas and New Mm. Year I haven't really been like unplugged and feral for quite a while (laughs) but I am hoping for that soon no me either I haven't done that since pre-covid yeah and I think you know we did the right thing by uh sitting about (laughs) where was the first place that you visited when you when we could travel again did you did you go on a mini break anywhere anywhere abroad I went I made it to Crete for four nights. Ah. Um, Crete, that, was, that's in your book that we, we'll come on to in a bit. Crete, that's in my book. It's I wrote about it in my book. Yeah. I was there right. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote about it after I got back. Um, we, um, I was there for four or five nights uh, and they shut down Greece the day after I flew home. I mean, I've been so unbelievably fluky in my 
the country shuts up as I take off. What are you bringing to the country, Which Raven? Is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, they shut down everywhere props that could fly back to the UK, the Greek islands, yeah. and Crete just shut as I left. But while I was there, it was gorgeous. I have never been to Crete. I'd love to go. Is it go- is it is it beautiful? I was a little bit naughty. I was on quite a gorgy little package. So they picked me up from the airport took me to the hotel and I was there were you know six restaurants five pools the beach the cove so it was very kind of contained great for families which I don't have I was on my own (laughs) uh and I I, and I went to Crete once with some gal pals um about seven of us all together and we went for a week and uh my friend I was going to say my friend killed a kitten with first over it, which really put the dampness on the fun. Not enough ouzo to kind of get over the murder of a cat. <laughs> oh my god! She better when I press when I do press about this podcast, I'm going to block her so she doesn't have to relive it. <laughs> I, th- I don't think I can press you on the details because I'm a massive cat lover, and you're a cat lover too, I right? I am an absolute cat lover, and it was it was trauma for everyone involved. Um, we came imagine. back, and I said, so I said to her boyfriend, "Oh, what about that cat?" And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Right, yeah, what am I talking about? Never, ne- what happened? It didn't happen. Gals on holiday, just lidos." And loads of boobs. I mean, a lot of boobs when you go on holiday with loads of women. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Right, well, we're going to go back yes. to the to the very beginning of your life. Yeah, yeah. Chapter one mm-hmm. of your travel diaries is your earliest childhood travel memory. Okay, so I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit because we, I don't remember. We, I grew up like relatively not rich essentially poor and we didn't really do a lot of like international travel I vaguely vaguely remember going to Dieppe with my mum uh and staying in like a holiday camp of tents but it's so vague and the first time I remember being on a plane uh I was 11 so it was after second after primary school my mum booked us on two weeks in COS on COS uh and I was so anxious about getting on a plane. I remember being sick at the airport before we flew. Yeah, like really like, because I always got quite um, funny about getting too hot. I can't explain, that was the past. It's the opposite of who I am now. Uh, And people kept saying it's a different kind of heat. And I was like, it's a different kind of heat. I remember feeling very worried about uh, some some kind of like shriveling to a raisin as we flew. Uh, But I got the taste for Greece almost immediately. Um, I just there's something about uh, just the way of life that just struck a chord with me um, mm. and it was, I guess it was my first real sort of beach holiday where it was like nothing to do in the day a little bit of lunch a little bit of dinner I remember drinking peach juice and thinking it was like the most exotic thing that had ever happened to me in my whole life um, <laughs> and it was just it was magic and I think I've never quite gotten over not that I'd want to get over my love for Greece, but it's never quite out of my system. Always want a bit more. Well, the thing is, is that, I mean, you don't, as you say, you don't really ever have to get over it because you could go to a different island. No. For every holiday, probably for the rest yeah. of your life. And you could go to a new one, a new one, because there are so many. I, I, it's just so vast. We went to Milos um, a couple of summers ago, loved it to pieces. And then I was mm. like, do we go back? 
or do we try and do something new? So what was Milos like? Gorgeous. Um, so we flew to Athens and then flew to Milos. So it has its own little airport from the mainland, which means it's not too bad to get to, no boats. And it's quite sort of tear the plaster off, wake up the next day on a little tiny little Greek island. Yeah. It's quite barren and dusty, um, but the food is just phenomenal. It's like a real culinary a kind of forgotten culinary gem, apparently. Uh, but I just remember eating like sort of like goat's cheesy omelette with with courgettes. And they have this place called like Ohamos. And it's just delicious. We went like three times in a week. Really? I think this, people are so weird when they go on holiday that they don't like going to the same place for dinner twice. And I'm like, no, when you find somewhere that's delicious, just keep going. Yeah, I completely agree with you, actually. Like, and then that that particular spot then takes a real special place in your heart as well yeah totally totally we loved it we went right before the airport then flew you know a little dip in the sea and then flew home ah okay i I need to add milos to my greek island wish list do i keep doing those like um those like tests which greek island are you and i keep (laughs) getting a different one every time (laughs) i didn't know that they existed so which ones are you getting they're everywhere well, I think I keep I keep wanting to go to. I feel like I once swam to that shipwreck that's on the beach, the oil tanker, and left a pair of flip flops there. Uh, so I remember that quite vividly. <laughs> Me and my mum love cars, so I wonder if that would be a good one to go back to. We did. We went down to the Peloponnese like one October, and it was still quite warm. Mm. Well, growing up in Brighton, I mean mm. that is an area that's really pro- popular with British travellers. Mm. And and just the you know, international travellers in general. I mean, it's a really hot tourist spot. I mean, at the yeah. time when you were when you were living there as a as a child, did you see the appeal? I mean, like, did you get it then? As a, and and did you love it? I love. I outgrew it. I can't think of a better way to describe it. And I, I don't know if everyone out like out like grows out of where they grew up. So it's. I loved being what I would think of as a big fish in a small pond. When I get got to 17 and I was swaggering around listening to the Libertines and acting like I own the place because it's like six main streets. Like, it's quite easy to do. But I, 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 I felt like I just transcended living there. I'm, but I loved it. What did I love about it? I think the thing I love about Brighton is, yes, it's multicultural and yes, it's quite liberal, but there's something really uh, magical about cities by the sea. Like I am addicted to them, Barcelona, wherever. I just have, they they hold such a special space in my heart um, to just have this kind of big infrastructure churning movement and then also just have the ocean or the channel or whatever at your at your disposal I just love it and I'll never get quite get over that uh, mix of the two I just find it really nourishing in a way oh my god me yeah. too you and I are kindred mm. spirits okay, because good. it's like my dream is to live somewhere like that I mean I I used to live near the Thames and that kind of gave me a little bit like it satiated my appetite a little bit yeah but yeah like those cities by by the water like Barcelona is a prime example yeah to have that sexy beach yeah. like right there yeah it's just they're so lucky it's really they're special so yeah I love yeah. it yeah so chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with. I think the one thing that I really loved in kind of the last five years was when I went to Japan. I was there for 72 hours. And I can tell you, you don't get jet lag if you refuse to sleep at all. <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> we're just staying up. Uh, uh, Tokyo is kind of built to uh, 
entertain you all night. You know, those karaoke yeah. bars do not close. Um, and it was a real sort of a moose bouche for a country, um, an island that feels just really special. I was like, oh, this is really, really special. This is like nothing I've ever experienced in my whole life. I loved it. And I feel like it's the one that got away because I was there so briefly. I feel like I'm in love with it, but it's like meeting someone on a, on a platform and then, then going off on a train. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. ah, Oh, that was oh I haven't I want more um and I I, I, I remember I, I was on like a little press trip and I would say wherever you travel um it, you should go to McDonald's and try the local delicacies wherever we are in, on the planet so I went to the Japanese no one's ever said that before <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean in Milan it's, it is bananas but in Japan, it was like green Fanta and carbonara fries. And it was like, this is, this is, oh, it's yeah. like a romp through kind of almost, <laughs> but it is the one that got away. I think of it all the time. It's so, it's too much. And it's yeah. like, it's nonstop. And I was like, this is for me. I, I wanted to talk more about beaches. Uh, I've lost so many beaches, too, too many to mention. The first place Richard and I, my husband, went together uh was Barbados it was our first long haul holiday and nothing feels more on holiday than a 50p rum and coke in fact it's actually been quite divisive on the podcast mm. some people have found it a bit like Brits abroadie I think yeah. it depends on where you go totally so we read something in the Guardian that was like 100 best places to stay under 100 pound a night this was maybe 10 12 years ago we stayed in a place called CU guest house on the north side so you're on the Atlantic it's really choppy loads of surfers which is great and then that south side the Caribbean side is much more like hotel motel holiday inn it's much more kind of structured around moneyed tourists um but you can we had this I don't know what we were reading but you can find secret beaches between the big hotel beaches so we were and I just remember the first day the sun is like midway going down walking down this path between the like all this you know exotic tropical bracken (laughs) and coming out on the Caribbean sea and just being like this is legitimately paradise this is what everyone is talking about when they say it's paradise I couldn't take it in I was just like I can't believe how beautiful this is um so we were there, I mean uh, and, uh, because it's tiny it's easy to get around it was we were just in our element just mooching around and really romantic the first long haul trip you've taken together as well yeah and just staying in this kind of little squat sort of it reminded me of like Mississippi housing like it's like just little white squatty house and just you know my husband getting burnt to, to a cinder and me having a lovely time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, let's continue actually the chat about uh, beaches because you actually have some chapters in your new book, Ravensmith's Men, that are named after destinations in the world. One of them being Newquay. Yes. Ah! From Barbados Ah! to Newquay. From Barbados to Newquay. I mean, Newquay, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean... Do you want to tell us a little bit about that chapter? Um, and it's a real coming of age story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now where do we start with the new key story? When I was 16, 
like a lot of people post UCSE, I went to Newquay with a load of my mates. Um, mm-hmm. Rite of passage. Rite of passage. Uh, what do I remember about that trip that doesn't jump <laughs> us straight into the embarrassing story? Uh, I think I, I was, uh, you know, a lot of my book focuses on being on the cusp of adulthood and this feeling of like, I'm not quite an adult until I do this or this or whatever. So circling the plug hole of being a young man and b- becoming a kind of young adult. And I think... Um, this chapter was, uh, I met a boy in a club. We were kissing. We went out onto the beach. Stuff was going to happen. And I was afraid. <laughs> Do I need to tell you that? <laughs> and to find out more listeners, you need to buy Raven's book, uh, yes. Ravensmith's Man, <laughs> because it, it gets even better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, I was afraid in a, my adulthood is coming over the hill and, I'm, and, I'm, and, I, and I need to uh, get out clause yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was both like funny but also like quite sweet yes my editor said it was sweet and I was like cool it's one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me <laughs> <laughs> okay, so good. the book is part memoir and part commentary on masculinity yeah like what was the uh, the reason that you wanted to write write it what was the inspiration behind it? So about three months into the pandemic, I was sitting at home into lockdown. So about um, May, June time, uh, I was feeling inundated with memories of my past. I'm sure a lot of people were sitting alone with mm. their feelings or with their yeah. families and their feelings and their and their thoughts. And I was just really aware of how often those memories were connected to masculinity in some way. Uh, and I wanted to write a book of, of funny anecdotes of my uh, liaisons with men, whether they are sexual or friendly or work or family. And I think what it developed into was masculinity kind of penetrates, for want of a better word, so much of, of what we do and so much of the life that I've had. And I'm, you know, I'm a gay man who fancies men. Or what I am—I'm a gay man of what I understand is a gay man who fancies men of what I understand is a man, which is very different to a lot of how Gen Z are viewing things. I'm happy to be a relic of literally three years ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I—I I, I just wanted—I wanted to tell good stories of things I remembered, but they just—I—I I can't shake that thing of like how men have been integral to how I remember stuff. So I just mm. tried to put that out there. I think I, I would never be able to write um, pop psychology on the way men operate, but I can be like, this is a man that I saw doing this. This is the man that I thought I was at the time. This is the man that I was felt, this is how my masculinity changed after the, some of these experiences. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of observation mm. of masculine culture, mm. given that given that we're going on a kind of jaunt around the world, yes. is there a, a kind of... Uh, a, a place where the the men intrigued you the most. Oh, good question. Mm, I don't. I don't think I've ever uh, thought about it like that. But then there is part of me which is like the thing is, me and my husband have this conversation where he says he doesn't have a type, and I say I don't have a type, and we're we're very cool about not delving too deeply into that. But there is a <laughs> this sort of recurring theme in the kind of men that I get obsessed and head over hills with. And that's sort of like Spain and Greece is where I'm getting a bit like, oh, I feel a little bit, I'm getting a bit giddy. So I would say <laughs> very intrigued <laughs> by 
Spanish men. That sounds very shallow. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 well, I mean, I, and I'm not surprised about the the Greece thing because you know, yeah. w- one of the um, the parts of your book when you're you're talking, kind of, you're reflecting on actually where you're writing, mm. and you're observing, you know, the speedo wearing <laughs> men from the safety of your. Uh, the speedo gussets, actually, the speedo of the European gussets, men from the, the safety of your sun lounger. Um, yeah. so I, I love that. <laughs> There's something about the beach that I find so uh, brilliant, not even necessarily that turns me on, but it's like the idea that you, it is the most public place you can be. Loads of you on this strip of sand or stones, but you are dressed mm. like you are only with the people you love. <laughs> so that- weird. It's so weird. You're so right. And the private so public weird. thing is complete. The context is so crucial to that whole thing. Yeah. It's great. It's so true. It's so true. Although I wonder now, I mean, that I think definitely was a case. Now I wonder if it actually has been like so normalized because of, you know, Love Island, etc. And like Insta fitness. Like yeah. I, when when I was growing up, like fitness and like body consciousness just wasn't the same as it is now. It was it's like really ramped up to a new level where I think like being hot physically mm-hmm. has really gone up, gone up in the stakes. Yeah, I wonder if when we were growing up, like the only time we saw loads of bodies was at the beach. And now it's like, you can't escape Yeah, now we're inundated. Yes. Now we're inundated, exactly. So actually, maybe the the, the younger people, uh, maybe they're less interested in other people's bodies on the beach. Maybe we're the ones that are like... Um, yeah, we're like, what a vintage, what a vintage analogue titillation. And they're like, I have a phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, chapter three. Yes. The place where you learned the most about yourself. Where would that be? I'm going to say Berlin. Uh, because when I was uh, finished university or midway through my university, I went there for a week on my own. Um, mm-hmm. just to, because I had n- nothing else to do. I've been working all summer and I was going back into my mm-hmm. third year. Uh, and it taught me yeah. so much. Traveling on your own is just completely different to anything else. I'd always had someone thinking about my passport or something. Someone else was helping me in some way. So I guess the pressure to travel on your own, the amazing experiences you can have traveling on your own, the pressure it puts on you to be with other people and to make bonds with strangers, which I just thought was brilliant. Like I did tell a lot of lies. I was like, I could be anybody. But I think I learned to just not be shy, be less shy. I've never been that shy. And then mm-hmm. uh, just Berlin is so kind of, what I found, what I realized was it's like, it's so kind of brutal to look at. And so sort of ugly on the outside and warm on the inside. People are so nice there. And I think, you know, some other cities are the opposite. So <laughs> I just found it really welcoming. And I returned when I got my, uh, um, contract for my first book I went back there as somewhere I knew I could be alone and be content Uh, and I lived there for a month writing the first half first draft of my first book yeah and I was just waking up walking for two hours and writing and just you know eating pumpernickel bread and like loving it really it's just got I think the way of life I think there's an assumption that it's like party party but actually the people that don't party have a delicious way of life they're like the, you know they're really looked after communally and governmentally yeah you really yeah. feel it there 
that people are content. What what neighbourhood did you stay in? I was for in that month? Nuke Holm, but mm-hmm. actually, by can by total chance, someone I knew was moving out or, or was renting, and it was like a couple of hundred pounds to stay there for the month. I mean, it was just like it was perfect. D- did do you have any like go to spots that you went to? Like all no, the time? I literally delivered food and typed all night like Mary Nightingale. Wow. yeah I was like let's <laughs> keep that I was really really focused it's the only way I find it's possible for me to write um and that and now they've got rid of delivery because it's it's a little bit whatever the bureaucracy of it they decided well in society they don't need it so you can the second well, I went there for this next book and I was like I'm going to starve. <laughs> 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 I had to go to the supermarket, which was completely fine. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Is is New York going to come as one of your chapter destinations? I moved to New York uh, for 90 days on a tourist visa after I finished university and I fell head over heels in love with it. I have to, I get quite sort of homesick for it. Um, it's just, it feeds my soul. I, that's very, very grandiose thing to say, but there's something about just being there. It's not about where you're going, who you've seen. It's just the atmosphere of like, oh, oh, this is very, this is like nourishing. I've said nourishing already, but like, it just, it does something to me that makes me feel inspired and energized and excited. And, you know, yeah. does all the, it's yeah. like real recharging my battery. I really related to something that you wrote, which I wrote down uh, in that chapter, mm. where you said being British in New York is its 
own personality. Britishness makes you shiny like a tuppence. People think you're special. The no- novelty of it is crack for non-Native Americans whose history started in like the 1800s. Yeah. Maybe laugh so much as the daughter <laughs> actually of a New Yorker. Yeah. Um, because, you know, even for, like for me, when I'd go over there, even my name, Holly, mm. they'd think was crazy. Yeah. I, you know, because they'd call it like Holly, right? So oh, like, yeah, of Holly. course. Holly. Oh, my God. Holly. Yeah. <laughs> it is wild how obsessed they are with Britishness. Isn't yeah, it? it's brilliant. You can you can get away with absolute murder. I was be- I was so <laughs> plummy when I was there. I was like 21. And I was like, hello. All right. Hello. <laughs> like, I really played into it. I think I just find... It is interesting how hard communication can be when we essentially share a language. I think what you're saying about Holly, I had a friend called Walter and they were like, what are you saying? It's, they're like, it's Waller, Wilder. <laughs> Walter. Walter. Oh, the, the other name that I find really strange is Graham there because they, they say Graham. 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 So we were yeah. on, so we had yeah. the L train going into Bushwick where we were living and it was Grand, the Grand Stop and the Graham Stop and it was like Grand, Graham. <laughs> I was like, no, these are different words. Uh, I, I know I just, something about New York, the, the fact that it is constantly evolving and that it hits the rivers on each side and it can't spread out is so interesting. It's just going up. It's just like getting thicker and thicker and more concentrated. I just love that. Mm. Um, you know, when I was and there... You, you was lived a, in Manhattan, right? And yeah. then in Brooklyn. I lived in my... In, I, basically, I met a guy in a lock-in in a pub and I was like, I'm moving to New York next week. And he's like, I live there. You can sleep on my sofa. And I slept on the sofa for a month. <laughs> I would never do- imagine doing that now. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean you've got nowhere to stay? And I was like, yeah, I just met this guy. And on the way there, he texted me to be like, don't, don't say my name when you enter the country. And I was like, okay. Oh, my God. What? Did you ever find out why? No, I just said, thank you for having me for a month. made my sofa bed and vamooshed I was out of there no I mean I think there is something about sort of being 21 and being rootless that is totally I was totally fine with oh like what a rootless existence let's go like it was cool now I'd be like I I need a little I need a I need to know where that next hot shower is going from I really envied reading that chapter actually because there was such a sense of like liberation mm. free free spiritedness that like I don't think like I've certainly never like had a taste of that yeah I think it's really cool to have had that kind of experience it was brilliant I mean I just you know I was I was very kind of rip it up and start again I just wasn't that bothered about putting any lines in the sand building any foundations of anything I was just having fun and it was built for you know party boys party monsters night owls it was built for that you know Mm -hmm. and I think obviously as someone who loved loved a dance loved going out all the time you can self-mythologize self-mythology is a hell of a drug I can tell myself that like partying all the time is part of this lineage of studio 54 and the Romans and then you're just like, or I'm a narcissist in a show off and I love dancing in a big group. Like, it's like both of those things at once. Am I, am I part of this great lineage or am I just another, you know, guy on gin and tonics? 
I, I don't know. The, the lineage, we ourselves. Raven, Is obviously. it something we tell ourselves so we can keep going yeah. that <laughs> So, obviously, you love New York. Chapter four is your all-time favorite destination. Yes. Where have you picked for that? It's not New York. It's actually Cairo. <laughs> so we, um, ah. when I, I'm talking about my first book a lot, but as part of working on it, I found very taxing and like, uh, grueling. Plug your first book, by the way. Raven Smith's Trivial Pursuits, available in all Excellent. good bookshops. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I needed to have a big treat at the end, and we. So we. And my dream has always been to go to Egypt and see the pyramids. Very, yeah. Both brilliant and basic desire of mine, travel-wise. Um, and so we flew. We objectively went to see the pyramids and the tombs. Um, and then we were going to this place called Siwa. It's a place called Siwa, which is like a little schlep out. And it's kind of like a 40-room eco-lodge, no electricity. Like It's like sandcastles built on the side of a salt lake. Um, and it has, wow. they bake the salt into like glass bricks. So some of the walls are like see-through salt bricks. It's brilliant. It was Princess Diana's favourite retreat. It was all very like, oh, I spoke to two oh, people. Oh, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I spoke to two people who'd been to Egypt and they were like, you should go here. It's expensive, but it's worth it. And it's like staying, it's a, when they say expensive, it's like a night at the Ritz, but this is nothing like a night at the Ritz, right? So you're like, this is, you're just walking around with candles in the desert uh, and they're bringing out this, all these Egyptian feast foods, you know. It was amazing. The, the swimming pool had like a deep hole at the end. I was like, that's so weird. And apparently it's a, it's basically a well. So they, take the water out of the pool and, and feed all the vegetation and the pool just fills back up again. I mean, it was beautiful and amazing and haunting. And I was so into oh. going to this place, but actually it was Cairo that was like, just, I get kind of, I get preoccupied about holiday destinations when I'm like, oh, I could live here. Uh, that, it feels really like magical when you feel that. And Cairo is such a sort of dirty, sandy the sahara is just blowing in it's noisy it's sweaty it's like it's not built for like tranquility my experience was not tranquil the traffic i've never seen anything like it in my whole life uh and i and i just completely fell in love i was like this is this is mayhem i i love this chaos and it's not like there's no rich people there's just like in gate more gated communities I and mean, it's not like there's no gentrification but it doesn't have like a trendy food scene yet it's kind of like it's not it's it's still cooking and I love that it wasn't yeah. finished I love that yeah, and then of course yeah you drive for two hours and you're inside a pyramid and it's like whoa so I, I, cool. I mean phenomenal I, I mean real Indiana Jones stuff crawling up the the Great Pyramid was amazing so I haven't been to Egypt mm. I somewhere actually I've always wanted to go to so did you because sometimes you fly from Cairo to Luxor to see other stuff so could you see quite a lot from being based in Cairo yeah well we were there for like just shy of two weeks and so we flew to Cairo, we were there for a few days. We went all the way to Aswan Dam. So we went all the way to Aswan Dam, which is an amazing kind of feat of engineering. We stayed in the old Cataract Hotel, which is in Death on the Nile. So I was very taken with that. Agatha Christie basically lived there for like three years writing because that's how you traveled then. You didn't go for 10 days. And then we got the night train 
back to Cairo, which was just like, there's nothing I love more than a night train. I just think of it as the most romantic, um, cool, bustling thing. And obviously it's like the worst night's sleep of your life every time, yeah. but, it, but I don't care. I'm just like, this is magic. You know, just like going to yeah. the, going for a wee, but you're just weeing out onto the track. It's just like, a, you can see the ground speeding underneath the loo. It's like, it's just insane. Uh, so I love that. Um, and, and and we didn't do the Valley of the Kings, so that is the big, the bit, what, the big kind of middle bit. Um, and they don't run boats back to from there. You have to fly, or because there's a lot of sand pirates that siege boats <laughs> just outside of Cairo. <laughs> I mean, like, oh, we just get the, we just go straight on the boat out of Cairo, and they're like, no, don't do that. That's not safe. <laughs> uh, I loved it. I would, would thoroughly recommend it. People don't know how they did the pyramids. I mean, you had slaves, but it's just in, just a block of the pyramid is like large. You can, I could barely climb one. Unfathomable. It is it? crazy. I mean, the the only disappointment is it's baking hot. You agree to go up inside the pyramid so you're crawling up this like tunnel it's got lights and, and strips of wood so it's a bit like a I don't know hamster's wheel but it's not spinning you go up and up and up in the heat of the day and you get into this massive cavern and it's completely empty <laughs> it's all in the it's British it's all in the British Museum and there's nothing in there I was like right Finders Keepers Museum got this <laughs> they, were here, they were here first so it's so, but still amazing still just like this kind of built out of kind of human belief in afterlife. It's just brilliant. We'll return to the podcast in a moment. But first, I'm joined by my husband, Alex, who's making his debut on the podcast. We're here to have a chat about our experiences with Airbnb. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks. Thanks for finally having me. I'm I'm truly honoured. <laughs> You know, um, I typed my name into Google. Can you can you admit that you typed your name into Google? I I have. <laughs> <laughs> I typed my name into Google the other day for professional reasons, of course. And I saw the autofill thing that comes up says Holly Rubenstein husband. So there's a it doesn't. Yeah, there's so there's a degree of curiosity. Wow. Around your identity, the people have spoken. <laughs> and do you want to tell us, Alex? where we are recording from because we're on location in a we lovely are. airbnb as we speak we are in west sussex we are about two miles down a private road and we are in a converted farmhouse looking out over the most incredible estuary and coastal setting we are just a stone's throw from the most amazing pub that you have to walk across the estuary to get to mm -hmm. uh, and it really couldn't be more remote uh, and more calming really yeah and what we're getting a taste of is this real shift that we're seeing throughout travel of living anywhere brian chesky the founder and ceo of airbnb actually talked about this last season he was my season finale guest on the podcast and he really sold this notion that you and I have always been really tempted by of living and working in a different environment. Yeah, he did. I love that part of the episode. It was fascinating. Because um, I think he, he talked about this kind of the term hybrid travel, where mm. you go for, for short or, or long periods of time. And in that time, 
you you aren't just traveling you're working and and you're kind of relocating to a whole new place and you almost become like a local when you're there rather than dipping into a into a location and just being the tourist if you stay somewhere for two or three weeks and you're doing a bit of working and a bit of of traveling you kind of experience it in a different way um and i guess this is kind of a little snapshot of that exactly and this is you know, this is one of the positive outcomes of COVID because you, you're not tethered to your desk at the office anymore and neither am I. No, I mean, companies left, right and centre are allowing remote working. So this is going to be a thing for the future. Mm, I can't wait for that. Absolutely. We've been talking about it since we since we first met. Yeah, yeah. And it brings back great memories of our seven years hosting on Airbnb ourselves because we were super hosts. We we rented out our flat in central London and we had a really great experience, didn't we, from start to finish? We did. I mean, I remember the first period, which is probably just before I met you. And and at that time, I was just renting out uh, a spare room in, in the flat rather than the entire place. And it was an incredible year or two because we had people from all over the world come and stay with us. And it was great to see them experiencing London for the first time, many of them. But as a result, through kind of being the hosts for them, telling them where to go, you ended up meeting people from all over the world. And I'm still in touch with people from Japan, from Sweden, from Brazil, from all over the world. And it's it's it was an incredible experience. That's so cool. And then when I moved in, we ended up renting out the entire flat and that helped to subsidize it did. our travels. Many flights were paid for because of the, the money from Airbnb. And we had one particularly memorable family come and stay with us didn't we we did it was a father and son um from colorado and i never forget receiving their feedback which was the most glowing feedback they must have had the trip of a lifetime in london and i remember they said to us if ever you're in the colorado area come and stay at our airbnb in, in a place called marble colorado i think they were a little bit surprised because um it probably was one of the off the cuff kind of comments and it so happened we were genuinely traveling along that stretch of the Rockies only a few months later but they were amazing they they loved us staying and we absolutely would never have stayed in this sleepy mining village I mean it's called Marble Colorado for a reason yeah big uh, hunks of marble everywhere everywhere yeah and um the views were just spectacular I remember when we pulled up and it was it's an off the, it was an off-the-grid property, wasn't it? Was, it? I think the title was like Eco Off-the-Grid Cabin yeah. in Colorado. There are a lot more um, off-the-grid properties on the Airbnb site, I think, since we went as well. It's become a Definitely. real focus for them. I remember arriving and it was a bumpy, bumpy road to get there. But then this cabin was brand new, all solar-powered, um, and the views, there was no, no house in sight, and the views over this lake looking out over snow-capped mountains and mm. we just sat on that veranda looking yeah. out over the sunset With binoculars looking out for like grizzly bears well no <laughs> we didn't see any grizzlies <laughs> i think we ended up seeing some some smaller animals yeah it was it was a really wonderful experience and wouldn't have come about had we not had that like human connection Absolutely and communication not. that you get through hosting and and being a guest on airbnb so if you're tempted to become a prospective host yourself, you can learn more about how much you can earn sharing your space through the What's My Place Worth tool. And whether you're looking to live anywhere or become a host yourself, visit Airbnb and find out more. You won't regret it, will you, Alex? Absolutely not. So chapter five is your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe my listeners might not know so much about. Yeah, I found this quite hard because... 
in this day and age, is anything hidden anymore? I felt very like, oh no, wait, what are the kind of places that I go or that I love that no one knows about? But whenever I see someone's in Paris, I tell them to go to Lavant Comptoir de la Mer. Uh, please tell me you haven't heard of it. I've never heard of it. Tell me all about it. So it's like a little, there's a there's a kind of main restaurant and then to the side of that, they have like butchers, like strip of curtains with a pig on it. And you go through these kind of plastic curtains and it's basically an aluminium clad bar and a load of, and a load of, and, a, and like a little bench. And there's loads of placards hanging down from the ceiling with the menu on. So each one is a dish. They have this, you basically just sit, stand, have a Beaujolais, and do they bring you like small plates to eat? And it's just a total vibe. It's just like, oh, oh this is magic. So cool. on, on the counter, they have like this mountain of butter with loads of knives in. You just go in and, you know, excavate yourself some, some dairy. <laughs> but it's just, it just has that feeling of like, it's not, I think you, there's loads of great little brasseries in Paris that, you know, they thrive on it and they're brilliant. And I love going to Brasserie Lip and, having a steak even though I don't eat meat I'm not having a steak tonight so I love all of that but there's something about uh Lavant Comptoir that is just feels special and like because you can only fit like eight people in there it all it always yeah, feels like quite quite a you know they'll do a good wine they look after That's you a perfect hidden gem okay good hidden gem and um we can't kind of go on to the next chapter really without asking about your kind of favorite spots in London because like you Ooh. mentioned at the start you know you you love uh London you've written a lot about London yeah. like what where are your if if someone was coming to visit you in London Such a good question where would you say that they where would be the, like the three places you'd say they had to go I always say Brasserie's Adele but they've just sold it <laughs> The owner has just lost oh, it. Oh yeah. So I don't so, know. Do you think it will stay as Brasserie's Adele, or do you think it will change? I feel like the. the I mean, I don't know. Because this is also like the Wolseley, and I know all my all my so sad. all those like sort of no brain places where you will send someone and be like, you're gonna have a great time at Adele. Someone's like, it's my birthday, or my mum's in town, or it's my my niece's christening i'm like you just go to zadell yeah. they'll look after you yeah, it's it, yeah. it feels expensive but it's not as expensive as the other ones it's like it's a vibe yeah. so hopefully that it will keep that vibe i would always say go to rochelle canteen i got married there so i am biased um but i think it just gives good fare it just it's like delicious i always have you know i i am not a fussy eater, but I like fish and I like sauce. And they always have a fish and sauce that is like <laughs> chef's kiss, exactly what I want. Yeah. And uh, yeah. with COVID, they have built this kind of big outside aluminium extension. It's just cool. I love it. I just love it. Um, Covardis is great for a martini. Um, you can't go wrong These with it. really good tips. Yeah, good. Thanks. I, when I, 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 I love, I just love Soho. Uh, my studio's here and I love to just nip out for an omelette at Sadell usually it used to be uh, and I really like duck soup so they have duck soup in Soho which is always 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 delicious um, just remember like veggie fritters being spot on and they have a duck little duck picklery in East London where I've been to buy like like kombucha um, they do like vinegars in a bottle that you then dilute with water and then you feel kind of probiotic when you're drinking. <laughs> but like I like London 
that part of what I love about it, we're spoiled. We are spoiled. We have so many places that are like brand new and modern and trying to change the game. We have so many old school, stalwart, classic, no um, farting about places. And I think what I find difficult when I go out into the rest of Britain, especially, is things feel much more designed for like taking a picture of the room or but they feel much more much less authentic and much more constructed and it's because more contrived because we're so spoiled in london for anything we want i'm like well this yeah. isn't this is what i would do i would go completely classic i'd go rochelle kenty like so it's a bit of a like yeah. i'm spoiled by this yeah. by this brilliant city that is full of like loads of fish and loads of sauce <laughs> Ooh, i really want to go to rochelle kenty do it now. do it do it well, in total contrast to that, yes. penultimate chapter, chapter six, is your worst travel experience or the place you'd never go back to. There's no, I, I oh, oh, no. I actually, I have written some, well, I had prepared to say that my worst travel experience is going through security every single time. Oh, God, The yes, problem I have is, I sound like such a grump, grumpy old man because I, I'm really blessed and privileged I, I travel a lot people fly me places to write about them I go to openings you know art festivals Basels, whatever it's brilliant and I am a seasoned security man I'm like I'm not wearing why would I be wearing a belt why would I not have my laptop <laughs> already separated and I think it's credit for me <laughs> it's not that I hate going through security it's that I can't fathom how other people I'm still unable to move swiftly through it. <laughs> I can't get my head around it. Like it's oh, been 20 so years of 100 mil of liquid. What are you doing? <laughs> with your leech with Evian. How are we still here? It's been 20 oh, years. Oh, God. Oh, do you know what? It's actually talking about your men, like actually as a woman, this is more challenging for us. Yes. The problem yeah. is, is I know the rules have been in for 20 years, but there's just a lip gloss that's deep at the bottom of my yeah. handbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there oh, was a point God. when I was travelling so much that I just had a plastic bag with decanted stuff that I left it on, in my travel bag. So I never, so I was like, we're going, we're back, we're going, I'll top these all up before I go. I thought you were going to say that you just had the plastic bag <laughs> as a carry-on. <laughs> yeah, I once actually went on a, like a hand luggage only and I had a portfolio of papers and I just put pants in with it and then changed my pants <laughs> and then flew back the next day. <laughs> I was like, I don't need anything more than that. Uh, but I, yeah, of all the places that I found most difficult, I think Cuba was, I found it really tough. So we went just before whatever the handover was happening uh, and it mm. just felt it was so hard to do the simplest things and I've never we, we, Rich and I went on this Barbados holiday we fell in love with the Caribbean we were like this is this is paradise we've seen paradise we've tasted it and we've been on a few holidays where we've tried to chase that particular dragon and been like this yeah. isn't Barbados I didn't feel like people were trying to con me in Barbados like my Cuba felt so like had so much red tape for like, we need a car. And it was just like, why why can't we just hire a car? Like, I, we just really felt that really acutely. Uh, but I also, it was stunning. It's a beautiful place to be. Uh, so it was a shame that we just had so much uh, fighting about with the car. Yeah, I mm. get that. I get that. So we're on to the final chapter yes. of your Travel Diaries, Raven. Chapter seven yeah. is the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list. Really difficult, really difficult. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm like the pressure. 
I'm going to say Hawaii. <laughs> it's just so hot. It's just uh... something about this kind of like volcanic island bubbling out of the sea feels really magic to me. Talk about paradise yeah. islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've always had this dream of going there. My husband's like not too fussed. So I might go with my mates. Um, but I just always had this dream of being there. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with Jurassic Park. And I've always had this sort of pipe dream of going to all the different places where they filmed it. <laughs> soaking it in. Uh, that's a good dream. Yeah. I actually traveled quite a lot around Hawaii. Yeah. And it is, I feel like having spoken to you and what you like, oh. I think that it would live up to your expectations. Very good. I just hope there's, I think it's like, I want kind of like grandiose scenery. Then I want like some old culture. Let's have a bit of that. And then it's like, and now we're going to the beach for a bit. And then I want a couple of days yes. of like, it will deliver on all fronts. Yeah. It will deliver on all fronts. A bit of a long flight. Yeah. It's not a cheap one, is it? You can't really hitch. It's not like a, oh, swim. <laughs> if I swim... No. And and I also think for me, it's like nowadays, it's not, it's not that it's not about the destination. The destination is important, but actually, like we were saying at the top, it's about the amount of time I get to go away for. I want, like, for me, I'll go anywhere if it's for a month. I'm like, wait, I will go to the, to back to Brighton if it means that I'm not working for a month. (laughs) There's something about sort of just being able to actually carve out the time. And the people, I know people that take August off. And I'm just like, one of these years, one of these years, I'm just going to not work in August. Yeah. One of these years. That's such happen. a European thing, isn't it? Yeah. They, like, na- they nail that. <laughs> yeah. So my parents have a house in the south of France and they don't go in August because it's too hot, which is probably the most bougie thing they've ever done. Uh, and I just <laughs> have this dream of, of being there in August and just eating brie. I mean, just like uh, pottering around, being a being a villager for a month and just reading. You know, I went and worked there on one of my books for a little bit and I was just reading till one o'clock and then going for a beer and then come back with some beers and doing some writing. I mean, that is the life. That is truly the life. Yeah. I'm picturing it now, it dreaming special. of it for, for you and for me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Raven. Those were your travel diaries. It has been so fun chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was the fabulous Raven Smith. His new book, Raven Smith's Men, is out now. Thanks so much for listening today. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit subscribe or if you're using Apple Podcasts to hit follow so that a new episode lands in your podcast app each week. If you're loving the podcast, it would be amazing if you could take a minute to leave a rating or a review on your podcast app. To find out who's joining me on next week's episode, come and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. And if you can't wait till then, remember there's six seasons you can catch up on. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. And I'll be back next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. 
It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.